Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Welcome to all you listeners out there in Real Presence Radio Land. We're happy to have you with this morning's installment of Real Presence Live. And your hosts for today are myself, Jack Kennelly, and... Doreen Kennelly, his wife. Welcome. Yes, and Doreen has been doing her homework. She's got uh, a number of jokes lined up for us. Should should we start off with one right off the bat? I was thinking the first one would be for our guest. Our guest. Okay, Monsignor, this one's for you. Just Or should we start that one? Sure, let's just start. Before praying. Before praying, yes. (laughs) Okay. Monsignor? Yes. Why are why are the Irish so rich? Oh my goodness. Um, this seems like a personal joke. (laughs) Yes. Remember, you're on the air. You can't think too no, long. You I, have too much dead air coming. I, I do choose yeah, it because so you're I, I, I don't know. Because I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Because their capital is always Dublin. Oh, brother. Oh, <laughs> uh, Can I tell you a better one? Is there a better one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course. I, 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 heard that, I heard that there was a better one. Why did God invent whiskey? As a sign that he truly loved us. Oh, that's funny. No, so the Irish wouldn't rule the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, it was beer. It was, it was Ben Franklin who said, I think, that beer is uh, proof that God truly loves us. Oh, okay. Ah, yeah. uh, sure. Anyway, right. well, can we, uh, um, I, I know we're catching you off guard here, but could we ask you to, to lead a prayer for us, Monsignor? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh God, our Father, your mercy is new every morning. When the sun rises, we know your care and your providence, and we know that you've watched over us and our loved ones all through the night. And so this morning we give you thanks and praise, and we ask you to empty our hearts of any selfish or sinful desire, and instead allow our desire to be purified and raised up to you as a pure, tender, loving desire for eternal union with you that plays itself out in all our words, thoughts, and actions. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Monsignor. That was beautiful. Yes, I think maybe we should identify for our listeners which Monsignor we're talking to. I don't think we've done that yet. Would you please introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Monsignor James Shea. Uh, I'm the president of the University of Marion. For the record, I think there are too many Monsignors. Well, you know... Who would you do away with? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I remember. You guys are tough cats. Well, I remember there was a priest at St. Mary's here in Fargo who gave a sermon a number of years ago, and in it he he gave us the scriptural basis for the uh, title of Monsignor, and it was something about somebody crossed the boat, across the crossed the sea or the lake or whatever, and uh, stopped at an island and rested. And he figured that was kind of the scriptural basis for my seniors. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, uh, when I was a young priest, so I was ordained in 2002, 20 years ago now, 
Uh, it's hard to believe. But uh, I was the associate pastor at the cathedral in Bismarck for, uh, for Father Tom Kramer, and he had a joke. <laughs> he had a joke that Monsignors are like Boxelder bugs. They have uh, sort of pink spots, and nobody knows what they're good for. <laughs> Oh. Okay, now that you have entirely alienated all of your brother seniors <laughs> out there. <laughs> oh, they all agree with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I I'm suppose. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of like a, a title, and what's it for? Yeah. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. Well, it gives you a nice aura. Well, it's a joy to be, be on the air with you this morning, though, to talk about such an important topic. Yes, yes. And, and we're actually building on what Bishop Kagan was here yesterday morning on Real Presence Live to talk. He talked more about the the uh, the process, and um, you know, I, I think you're going to. I think you knew Michelle, did you not? I sure did. I sure did. Yeah, she was. So Michelle, you know, grew up in Hebron, North Dakota, or Haymarsh, really, uh, which is rural Hebron, Glen Ellen, out uh, in that area. Is a girl who grew up on a ranch. She went to NDSU and studied horticulture, and um, there encountered the Fellowship of Catholic University Students Focus in their ministry there. She became a Focus missionary and spent time at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, and then uh, at both of the big state universities in South Dakota, USD and SDSU. And then her last uh, assignment as a Focus missionary was on the inaugural Focus team at the University of Mary. So that would have been in 2011. Uh, She came, she served as a focused missionary on our campus. She did tremendous work among our students. I had met her before as a result of uh, sort of involvement with Eagle Eye Ministries uh, with the community of St. John. Uh, She had been really involved in that when they hosted it out at uh, Cardinal Minch Seminary. And then after the seminary closed, uh, Eagle Eye Ministry moved their sort of uh, operations in North Dakota their summer institutes to the campus of the University of Mary, and we did the Ecclesia Institute for several years. But Michelle was very good friends with Father Nathan Cromley, who's the founder of all of that. But anyway, she did beautiful work on our campus as a focused missionary, and uh, then she discerned that she was being called by God to be the director of faith formation for the Diocese of Bismarck, where she founded the Thirst Conferences. And so, yeah, I did know Michelle, and I was very moved last week when Bishop Kagan was on our campus. You know, the University of Mary hosts focuses new staff training, and so we had um, almost 600 missionaries on campus who were finishing their summer training, and at the final Mass, the commissioning Mass, that's when Bishop Kagan made the announcement that the diocesan phase of the investigation as to whether or not to open a cause for canonization um, uh, had begun, and... uh, that was tremendously exciting. It was met with great jubilation by all who were present. Right, and for purposes of our listeners, we're talking about Michelle Dupont, uh, who is, uh, and as you said, her canonization process is under investigation by the diocese. In my understanding, that's the first step. Could you say a little something, Monsignor? I, I know Bishop Kagan spoke yesterday, but some people might not have been listening. Um, about that first step in, that, in the process towards canonization? Yeah, well, the first thing that I'd say is that everything that Bishop Kagan said is absolutely true and <laughs> perfectly accurate. And if there's any smidgen of variation in what I say this morning, he's the one who's right, and you should discount what I'm saying. Well, uh, Because he's the one who—go ahead. No, go ahead. You, you. Yeah, he would be the one who would know the process very intimately. Here's my understanding of it. 
um, that uh, the, the first step for any process for someone to be considered uh, for beatification or canonization, the first uh, step is that a, an investigation at the level of a diocese is opened. And so at the diocesan level, at the local level, there's a process where, whereby a person's life, deeds, and holiness are carefully examined, and there's a whole lot of research that goes into that. And so the person's writings, for instance, um, evidence of, of, of speeches or talks that they've given, um, their correspondence, both personal and professional, uh, is collected and examined um, and compiled. And um, then testimony is taken from witnesses uh, as well. And then if there are any sort of unusual uh, circumstances, uh, if, if there have been favors granted through prayer, those kinds of things, those are carefully documented as well for the file. And that's my understanding. And so Father Tom Grafsgaard, who it's funny, you know, he's a wonderful priest, <laughs> exemplary priest of the Diocese of Bismarck. I taught him in high school. In fact, it was my first assignment as a priest of the Diocese of Bismarck to teach religion at St. Mary's High School, and he was in the very first class. But anyway, he is uh, doing the, the research on it, and he's getting the diocesan investigation together. And so uh, I think in order to open that, uh, the bishop needed to consult with the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and with the Dicastery for the Causes of, uh, the, for the causes of Saints uh, at the Vatican in order to open it. And then um, what happens next is that once that's completed, it would be forwarded to the Vatican uh, for their consideration. And if they receive the file, uh, then my understanding is that the cause would be opened and Michelle would be declared a servant of God. And that's the first step um, uh, on the way to the process for beatification first and then canonization. Monsignor, I, um, I taught middle school religion for many years and then adult education in our parish, and I mm. found that a lot, there's a misunderstanding about what the canonization process does in that misunderstanding that the canonization process moves a soul from purgatory to heaven. Could you speak about that? Oh, dear. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, no, that, that, wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't be accurate at all. Mm-hmm. My, my, my understanding is, is a little bit different. I, I think that, that what's correct is that uh, beatification and canonization are, are declarations on the part of the Church that the, the person in question is already in heaven with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that's not... Um, now, there is a process of moving a soul from purgatory to heaven, but that's called praying, interceding for <laughs> yes. the, the poor souls. Yeah. Right. Now, you, you mentioned that uh, this initial process that you're undergoing... Uh, you know, it will investigate if there are any kind of unusual circumstances or prayers that were answered. But a, a miracle is not required at this point. And I'm asking because the table of wisdom that I meet with Mondays through Thursdays every morning for coffee, they were hmm. questioning whether that, and I said, no, I don't think the miracle is required at this point. That's later on. Yeah, my understanding is that a miracle is required at the right before beatification, and then in a second one, right before canonization. Unless a person is a martyr, if a person was killed uh, out of hatred for the faith, uh, and, and they're a martyr, then that martyrdom itself is taken into account, and then I think one miracle is required in such a case. Monsignor, if the, um, 
if a person were to begin today praying through the intercession of Michelle and a miracle did occur, would that miracle, could that miracle be used yeah, this, if it occurs during this phase of the investigation? You know, Doreen, that's a good question, and I don't know the exact answer to that. You know, I know that, here's what I know for sure. I know that the diocese, in the course of their investigation, would certainly want to know about that. And so if, if people are praying now, of course, there are to be no public prayers uh, to Michelle at this point, because that can only happen uh, at the time uh, of the beatification. Uh, and in fact, there's a very dramatic moment in the, in the ceremony of beatification where um, I remember when John Paul II used to beatify all kinds of people. When I was a student in Rome, they would have uh, images of the saints uh, on great big tapestries hanging from the facade of St. Peter's Basilica, and um, those tapestries would be covered, and it was only after the proclamation of uh, beatification that the coverings would fall off, and one would see for the very first time the public image for devotion of those beatified uh, persons. And so uh, there's not to be any uh, public uh, prayer or any public uh, adulation or... um, uh, veneration, veneration is the right word, of Michelle until such time as there's a beatification. But private prayer, of course, is very uh, invited um, and uh, and is allowed. And in fact, uh, if if there are um, if there is evidence of favors granted, that should be forwarded to the diocese for their consideration. Thank you for making that clarification. We, we did invoke her uh, this morning in our prayer right before we went on the air that 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 uh, you'd be on the phone with us. <laughs> oh, well, well that, I don't know if that's, I don't I don't, think that's a miracle. I don't think that's a miracle at all either. I mean, you're certainly no stranger to Real Presence Radio, and you've been on before, and I know that you make it a point to, to be on time. <laughs> Yes. Well, uh, right. we're we're coming up on a break uh, in, in just a few seconds, but uh, I, I think on the other side of the break, uh, let's talk more about you know who was Michelle and you know why is it that uh, she's at this point of uh, you know where we're looking at uh, getting her named as a servant of God if it's accepted by the Vatican or whatever the proper terminology is for uh, uh, this this process. So uh, uh, with that. Uh, I think we're ready to go to the break, Mark. Can we do that a little bit early here? He's nodding his head, and so we'll take a break. You're listening to Real Presence Live with Jack and Doreen Canelli, and we're talking with Monsignor James Shea from the president of the University of Mary, and we're talking about Michelle Dupong, whose uh, uh, process for canonization is underway or under investigation in the Diocese of Bismarck. So stay with us, and there's more to come. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Do you know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish? One who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com slash contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. 
Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director of Riverview Place. I've worked my entire career in healthcare as a social worker in the hospital, skilled nursing, and hospice settings. I love my job. Not only do I get to work with a caring, dedicated team that displays human kindness to every resident, it's a privilege to offer seniors a lifestyle that reminds me of what it felt like to grow up in the small rural town of Buffalo, North Dakota. To join our faith-based community, call us today for a tour at 701-412-1952. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live, and we're talking about one of the extraordinary things happening in our area, and that is the uh, the cause for canonization that's under investigation in the Diocese of Bismarck. And speaking to us is... Monsignor James Shea of the University of Mary, who actually knew Michelle Dupong. And I think Monsignor will just start out asking you, who was Michelle? Well, so Michelle grew up uh, in uh, rural North Dakota. She was a girl who grew up on a ranch, uh, the son of Ken and Marianne Dupont. Uh, and she, uh, it was near Haymarsh, North Dakota, which is sort of rural, Hebron, rural Glenolin. Uh, North Dakota. In fact, she grew up in the sight line of an of, a, of, a, of an old country church, St. Clement's in Haymarsh, uh, which has been, they haven't had a parish priest there for a long time, but they had a long um, sort of tradition of having Corpus Christi celebrations there. So I'm mindful that here we are kind of in the afterglow of the great feast of Corpus Christi at the beginning of this Eucharistic revival that the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has called and we're talking about somebody who grew up with a deep Eucharistic devotion. Her parents taught her the faith, her and her sisters, and then uh, she went off to North Dakota State University after graduation from high school, uh, where uh, she got a degree in horticulture. As I said before, she met uh, missionaries from the Fellowship of Catholic University students from Focus while she was there and became a Focus missionary, eventually coming to the University of Mary uh, on the inaugural or the very first uh, focus missionary team. And it was an amazing team. I remember when they first arrived on campus, you know, there's always a lot to do in the evangelization of college students, even at, at a place like the University of Mary. And so I remember sitting down with them and, and talking through things. The team leader at that time was a person named Marnie Peterson, who's now a religious sister with the Servidora. Uh, her name is Sister Star of the Evangelization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other 
uh, two missionaries were a married couple who later worked for the University of Mary in residence life after they finished their time with Focus. But um, I remember um, I remember Michelle as being on fire with zeal for souls. There was nobody that she wouldn't talk to. She carried herself with such cheerful joy, with such courtesy, and with such deep love. And the way that she cared for um, the students who were entrusted to her was really, really remarkable. Uh, and so I, I just remember her being an exemplary missionary, always bringing people closer to Jesus, deeply, deeply absorbed in prayer in everything that she did. So then she discerned in the course of her time uh, on the campus of the University of Mary that she was being called to work for her home diocese as the director of faith formation. And so she went uh, to work for the diocese, and it was there, uh, Jack and Doreen, that she started these thirst conferences. She had the idea that the Diocese of Bismarck should host these enormous conferences, thirst is what she called them, uh, because she wanted to evoke both the thirst of the human soul, each of us has this deep thirst, this hunger, this longing for God, but it only is efficacious, it only leads to our salvation when it meets with this tremendous, overwhelming torrent of thirst of Jesus for souls. And so Jesus, God himself, desires and loves us and thirsts for us and hungers for us and longs for us to be with him. And so she put together these amazing conferences, you know, which were just spectacularly successful, drawing, you know, 10,000 people to the Bismarck Event Center to hear wonderful Catholic speakers from all over the country. It, they were really, really um, beautiful things. And then in 2014, at the end of December in 2014, she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and it caught everybody by surprise. At that point, she was only 30 years old. And so nobody expected that she would have cancer. And, um, and she went in for a routine, uh, a relatively routine procedure where the cancer was discovered and that it was discovered to be pretty, um, pretty seriously progressed at that point. And so um, she spent a year then um, in cancer treatment, and she died in 2015 on Christmas Day. Now, it was during the time when uh, Michelle was dying uh, that so much of her true sanctity and the heroism of her life came clear because of her approach to suffering. Uh, she had made her entire life as a missionary and then as, uh, um, as an evangelist in the local diocese. She had made her entire life available to God, and God took her up on that offer in a way that she completely did not expect. And so she really, really did engage in and endure tremendous suffering in the course of her last year of life. And the stories that are told of the conversions of her doctors and her nurses and the, the, the way in which uh, she moved all of those who would come to visit her in the hospital uh, are, are deeply edifying. They're just spectacularly beautiful uh, stories of faith. She had a special devotion to Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati, and she wanted to be the miracle, uh, or one of the miracles, that would bring Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati to canonization. And so she had all of us praying to Pier Giorgio for her, but she wasn't fixated upon the question of a cure. She was very open uh, with whatever God wanted in that respect. And then when she passed away, I remember it was so heartbreaking 
but also in the midst of all of the sadness, which I think her friends and certainly her family um, and those who were closest to her felt, there was this sense as well of faith and of surrender to God's will, which was very beautiful. Of course, that's the fruit of a life well lived. And so there are just some high-level uh, things about Michelle's life. Um, but there's so much more, and of course much more is being discovered all the time about her hidden heroic sanctity. Monsignor, um, before the break you talked about the part of the process is examining the writings of the person um, who is being considered. And it seems to me, I remember that she had a Caring Bridge site, um, she did, yes. Yes, she, she and did. I was deeply touched by. I don't. I can't tell you exactly what I, you know, read on her Caring Bridge site, but I know that it it had a, a deep impact on me. Well, um, is that are those things? Would those kinds of things be considered as part of? Those, are, yeah, those are the kinds of things I think that that would certainly be considered in the course of the investigation. You know, I think that Michelle's suffering and death really did move lots of people. Mm -hmm. And I think if we could pause there for just a moment, something like the Caring Bridge site, or she wrote uh, articles in the Dakota Catholic Action, which is the diocesan newspaper, and the last couple of ones that she did had to do with her disease, with the cancer, and with the suffering that she was enduring, and, and gave kind of her perspective in that respect. But I think that what's very beautiful to consider, and this is very, 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 very important, is that Michelle wanted her life to bring others to Jesus. She had met Jesus Christ. She had heard his saving promises, and she gave herself completely over to him and to his will in her life. It's very beautiful. What she wanted in return was that many, many others would come to know him and to love him. And you would expect that the way that God would bring that about would be to give her a long an amazing tenure as Director of Faith Formation for the Diocese of Bismarck, and that that making her work fruitful instead of allowing her to pass away would be the best way to do that. But look at what's happening today. In other words, Michelle has been gone now in a certain sense, not really gone, because those who pass away don't really leave. Um, but uh, she's been gone uh, in a worldly fashion, in a fleshly f- fashion now, uh, for more than five years, and yet uh, many souls are still being drawn to God as a result of her life. And there's a documentary that's been done about her life. I saw a, sne- a sneak preview of it. It will debut in St. Louis, Missouri this year at the annual Seek Conference. Mm-hmm. There will be more than 20,000 young people from all over the country who will hear Michelle's story and be inspired by her life, her suffering, and her death. And so she's still bringing souls uh, to Jesus, and that's what her desire was, and he's chosen the most effective way in which that would happen. That's what happens, of course, when we make our lives available to God. He'll surprise us, sometimes in pleasant ways, sometimes in unpleasant ways, but always for the greater good, always for the glory of the kingdom of God and the salvation of souls. Well, I can confirm what Doreen said about being moved by her writings on the Caring Bridge, because it seemed like just about every day, Doreen would say to me, oh, you got to hear what Michelle Dupong wrote today, mm-hmm. and then she would read it to me. Yeah. yeah. No, but what a beautiful example of the way a life can continue to draw others to Christ after death. 
you know, yeah. because of the way she absolutely yeah. and, and, desire of her And this, this process seems to be actually amplifying it and spreading it even further mm-hmm. uh, just by virtue of the, the attention it's getting because it is, I think, creating a lot of excitement in the Diocese of Fargo and kind of in the entire Midwest and in our listening area. Well, and I think that that's really important for this reason. I think that we all need heavenly assistance in our lives, and that's why the Church provides us the example of the saints. And so we have someone, no matter what happens with this process, we have someone who loved God tremendously, and then who at the end of her life, though she suffered very much, she really turned her life over to God. And so as we talk to her, as we ask her for help in our lives, we can relate to her, and it's a reminder that all of us are called to be saints, no matter the circumstances of our lives, even if we live in North Dakota or in the Midwest. Um, in fact, especially for us, Michelle becomes for us an example that we can draw inspiration from and we can get heavenly assistance from. She saw, you know, just what you've shared again, Monsignor, and thinking back to her, her time on Earth and continuing, she's, she's like an icon of that virtue of surrender to <laughs> to Christ, but, you know, taking it even past that to then the magnet drawing others to that surrender. Monsignor, we've well, got... A, Go ahead. No, it's a good lesson for us that it's mm-hmm. God who really does great things, and we just have to give him permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Monsignor, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time, but I think we've got enough time for, uh, if you've got a final comment and a quick blessing, that would be great. Absolutely. Well, may, may all of us unite around uh, this possibility, uh, and I would encourage people on a private basis to speak to Michelle and to ask her for what you need. And so through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the angels and saints, may Almighty God keep all of us, and may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We've been talking with Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary, about the uh, uh, process or the cause of canonization that's under investigation in the Diocese of Bismarck for Michelle Dupong. And, uh, you know, like Monsignor said, keep her in your prayers. And uh, as Bishop Kagan said, if you do have a story to recount that you think would be useful for this cause, submit it in writing to the diocese. Yeah, that's one of the things that he emphasized was to submit it in writing. Don't just try to call it in somewhere. But uh, we're, we're up on the break, but on the other side, we'll be chatting with Steve Weidenkopf about two important saints and their impact on history. We're talking about uh, St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher, and uh, this is their uh, memorial. So stay with us for more Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 